Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. I welcome the visitors, especially if you have questions about this church or about Unitarian Universalism itself, please don't hesitate to ask the friendly and knowledgeable people at the visitor table. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. In the spirit of that heritage, I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek to find, and to share. It Matters What We Believe by Sophia Lyon Foz. Some beliefs are like walled gardens. They encourage exclusiveness and the feeling of being especially privileged. Other beliefs are expansive and lead the way into wider and deeper sympathies. Some beliefs are divisive, separating the saved from the unsaved friends from enemies. Other beliefs are bonds in a world community where sincere differences beautify the pattern. Some beliefs are rigid, like the body of death, impotent in a changing world. Other beliefs are pliable, like the young sapling, ever-growing with the upward thrust of life. Sometimes people are curious about how we can all gather in the same room on a Sunday morning when our roots and practices are in almost all the major world religions, including secular humanism, including neo-paganism. How do we, what holds us together at our center? And one of the things that holds this congregation together at its center is a mission statement, which we wrote on the wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls transform lives, and do justice. And one of the ways that we nourish our souls and transform our own lives and those of others is by teaching in the religious education department. And one of the things that we teach is called Our Whole Lives. Let's see. (laughs) I hope that everyone here knows what owl is. Yes? No? Maybe so. So I'm not talking about a great snowy white or a screech or a barn owl. Each week, our congregation lives its mission by providing OWL, which stands for Our Whole Lives, a nationally recognized series of comprehensive sexuality education curricula for ages kindergarten all the way through adult and later years in adult even. It is truly our whole lives long. Honest, accurate information about sexuality changes lives. It dismantles stereotypes and assumptions. It builds self-acceptance and self-esteem. It fosters healthy relationships, improves decision-making, and has the potential to save lives. Let's think about that. We live our mission, nourishing souls, transforming lives, doing justice, by teaching sex ed. And not just to our members, but it's open to the entire Austin community. Many of the youth in OWL and their families are introduced to Unitarian Universalism for the first time because they attended these classes. 
Today, we would like to recognize, honor, and thank the teachers, the OWL facilitators who are serving our community in this way and helping us live our mission. They're not paid. They must go through extensive training. They are available week to week. They dedicate themselves to these youth and their well-being. This semester, 13 middle school youth signed up for 18 weeks of this empowering program. When I said comprehensive, I meant comprehensive. Seeds by Meg Barnhouse. Who are my children? One is a baker in Cairo with flour on her cheek. One is a banker in Oslo with dreams of playing in a tuba band. One child lives in the mountains of Peru and loves to watch the Oscars. I have a son. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a son who is a monk in Kathmandu who has a bird he's taught to whistle and a starving daughter in Kinshasa who dreams of running in the Olympics. One of our cousins is a pine tree on the side of a mountain in Japan, and one is a catfish drowsing in the Mississippi mud. One is a bear in North Carolina, and one is a butterfly in Finland. She held an apple seed in her hand and held it to the sun. It is easy to count the number of seeds in an apple, she said, but tell me, how many apples are in this seed? How many apples are in this seed? How many generations are in this child? Now is the time in our service when we settle into the silence together. We breathe deeply, following our breath. Our thoughts crowd into our minds. Fears, excitements, hopes, lists. We notice them and bring our attention gently back to our breathing. It is in this place that we seek clarity, courage, rest. Let us enter the wise silence together. All right, I have a seminar question. What is the opposite of divine? Just hold that in your mind. We'll get back to it. So today is a, another sermon in the series of What's the Difference? sermons. And today is What's the Difference Between Unitarianism and Trinitarianism? So we're going to go more deeply into the history of half of the name of this denomination. Unitarian, because I want that you all should know what the name means. So we're going to go back to the very early days of Christianity. Rabbi Jesus had just died. Confusion reigned. What had happened? What did it mean? Some people said they'd seen him alive again. What was up with that? Was anybody writing anything down? 
5% of the population was literate. Things were going from mouth to mouth, but the first gospel that we have in the Bible wasn't written until 70, the year 70, maybe 40 years after the death and maybe resurrection, according to the Christian story, of Jesus. So, and there were lots of Gospels. Gospel means good news, so you'll know. You probably already knew that. There was the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, the Book of Thomas the Contender, the Gospel of Judas, nearly 40 others. By the year 140, the four that we have now pretty much were the ones that were being used, along with a book called The Shepherd of Hermas and another uh, collection called The Letters of Clement, Bishop of Rome. The final canon, which is a way of saying the list of the scriptures that are in the Bible, was kind of closed in the year 397. And finally, finally closed in the 1500s at the Council of Trent. So this whole thing was very fluid for a really long time. And the Shepherd of Hermas and the letters of the Bishop of Clement were in there until the 1500s. And so if you want to read them, you can find them. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, was the first one written in about the mid-70s. Then Matthew in about the mid-80s. And Luke, same time. John was probably written in the 990s. And, and the first three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have similar stories in them, and sometimes even the same wording in them. And so those are called the synoptic gospels. That means you're seeing them from the same point of view. that They see from the same point of view the synoptic gospels. And so you're getting like a whole year of seminary 101 right here in 20 minutes. And then there's John, which has different stories and a different view of Jesus. Now, the views of Jesus are different in each one because they were kind of written for different audiences. But the very first one has Jesus as very much a human guy. He's the son of God. He's a Messiah. But uh, the view of him as an actual divinity grows a little by little in each of the Gospels. So the later ones make him a little bit more divine. And then the last one, he's completely there from the beginning with God. Um, That writer of John borrowed a hymn to Sophia, the wisdom of God, which was an ancient hymn, and put it um, talking about Jesus at the beginning of the book of John. And it says things like... um, Uh, I I was there from the beginning with God. Nothing was made that was made without me. And so this whole hymn to the Sophia, the wisdom of God, is superimposed on Jesus. And that, that would mean something to the Jews of that time who knew the hymns to Sophia. So the Gospel of John has a very much higher view of Jesus. And what we call that is Christology. Christology is the word for your view of how much human and how much divine Jesus was. This is extremely important in the early church, and it's at the crux of Unitarian versus Trinitarian. 
So Christians fought about this endlessly. The fights that Mariu talked about in the children's story were all about this. How human, how divine was he? And the orthodox view, orthodox just means the one the most people voted on. The orthodox view was that he was divine and human at the same time. Fully divine and fully human at the same time. And people just shook their heads because it doesn't make any sense. How can that be? And people, being people, wanted to figure it out. And he needed to be fully God, they said, so his death would be big enough to save people. And he was human. He had to be human, so God would have really joined us here on this planet. And so that conundrum is the crux of the problem. So teachers arose in the early hundreds of years of the church with different ideas. Because remember, they just had collections of scrolls. There was no actual Bible at that time. Our roots are with one of the teachers that arose. His name was Arius of Alexandria. Alexandria is right up there on the Mediterranean in Egypt. That's where the huge library was, the Library of Alexandria. A lot of um, immensely intelligent people in that town. And our forebear, Arius, was one of those. Now, there were lots of different teachers all around the Mediterranean area. And one would say, okay, Jesus was divine and human. And the way that worked was that his body was human, but his spirit was divine. And another teacher would say, oh, no, 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 that's all wrong. And the way it works is that his body and spirit were human, but his will was divine. And somebody else would go, no, 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 you're absolutely going to jail for that. Um, He was both divine and human. And the way that that worked was that everything about him was divine, but he only just looked human. And other people would say, oh, oh, no, that's terribly wrong. And Arius said he solved the problem of this by teaching that Jesus wasn't divine at all, but that he was created by God before God created other humans, and that he was kind of the junior partner of God. And not God himself, but that he was the Savior, um, but he wasn't, he wasn't God. And in the first church council in 325, I've told you all before, these fights were starting to tear apart the Roman Empire, Um, people would set their theologies to uh, drinking songs and they would fight in the bars and try to drown each other out singing the song of their theology the loudest. It's kind of like soccer soccer punks in England. And they would sometimes spill out of the bar into fist fights on the sidewalk and whatever. And so Constantine said to the bishops of the church, decide what your theology is, you cannot let this go on because it's creating uh, havoc in my empire. So 325, the first council was called, Council of Nicaea, and that's when they declared it's orthodoxy that Jesus is both divine and human at the same time. And how that happens, we don't want to talk about it. Um, And Arius, by the way, is a heretic. A heretic just means that the orthodox people have declared you are in error. And that if you and your followers keep being in error, that you're going to go to jail. And so the mainstream talked about God, the Trinity, 
God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some of you all were raised in churches like that, and so you're very familiar with the idea of the Trinity. And many councils and conventions over the next thousand years reasserted that the Trinity was, in fact, even though it didn't make much sense, and then even though it really kind of wasn't in the Bible at all, um, that that was where, how they were going. And people who raised questions about it were shut down. The, I'm going to tell you something that will be interesting at your next party, <laughs> because you should come out of this sermon with something other than theology. Um, the word for Jesus being the same as the Father was homoousion in Greek. Homo means the same, and ousion means substance. So Jesus was the same substance as the Father. But the followers of Arius, who had disavowed his heresy but still couldn't quite go with the whole Jesus is God thing, because, you know, if he was God, then who was in heaven when Jesus was on earth, and how did that work? Um, anyway, so they were willing to go with homoousion, which means Jesus was of similar substance with the Father. Now, the difference in Greek between homoousion and homoousion is one iota, the tiniest letter. That's the one iota of difference that you hear people say. And so that is the difference that split the churches apart and put many people in jail. So I'm going to kind of draw a superhero parallel for you here. It's, uh, it's not completely accurate. But the homoousion people, the same as God people, kind of have Jesus as a superhero like Superman. He's not from here. He looks human, but he can do stuff like fly. And fly around the earth backwards so fast that he makes time go backwards. The Superman superhero. And the, the Aryans were kind of the Batman superhero people. Jesus is a guy. He's a man. He's a great superhero. He's got immense skills and cool equipment. But he's from here. So now you can see homoousion, Superman. Homoousion, Batman. I hope that's cleared it all up for you. <laughs> One of the most frequently asked questions about Unitarian Universalism by people's families, etc., neighbors, people in the grocery store, people who are doing your hair, they go, so do y'all believe in Jesus? And I usually say yes, because there was a guy named Jesus. Yes, I believe that he was there. Um... And they have scissors, which are sharp, and they're very near your eyes. <laughs> but the best Unitarian Universalist way to answer that question is, if people say, do you, think, do you believe in the divinity of Jesus? You go, yes, he was divine, and so are you. So remember the seminar question? What's the opposite of divine? For the Christians, the answer to that question is human or earthly. The opposite of divine is human. But if you have another perspective, 
if you believe that everything is connected, if you believe the earth is alive and that we are all part of the interdependent web of being, then human and divine are not opposites. Then there's just being and love. And if you want to call that God, you are welcome to. And the oneness can be divine, and we are all part of it. This is a part of transcendentalism that is well within the range of Unitarian theologies. So if you call yourself a Unitarian and you want to believe in the oneness of all things, hear that Unitarian, that's one, unit one. Trinitarian, tri, means three. So Unitarian as opposed to Trinitarian means one God, one God. And Trinitarian means God in three. So if Jesus is not divine, then he's not a divine savior. We're all part of God. Trinitarian splits God into three, with, with humans really as the fourth, the broken piece. And for some people, this way of seeing things has tremendous power. Many people feel broken and feel guilty and feel in need of being saved. Um, many people fear hell and want to be saved from hell. Um, some people don't fear hell, but they want to be saved for something, for heaven or oneness with God. But if you believe that everything is one anyway, then there's really nothing to be saved. You're just part of God, and all you need to do is realize it. And, okay, if you believe that humans are separate from God and that Jesus was somehow divine and not human and that you need the divinity in order to be saved— then you end up with this story that has God split off part of himself, give birth to a son, and then kill him to make sure that some rule was satisfied that was made by God? And couldn't God just, like, forgive people without killing somebody? Couldn't God just fix the situation without death? If you split God into three persons and see a need for saving from hell, uh, suddenly you have this God who's kind of a monster. But you have to pretend, you know, God loves you and he'll send you straight to hell. And you got to hold those things in your mind at the same time without going nuts. But if Jesus is not divine or is not divine except in the same way we are, and if things are at their heart divine, then we have to deal with that oneness. This is not an easy fix. I'm about to tell you why. It's lovely as long as you have the dolphins and sunsets uh, theology, which a lot of people do, and you can see it on Facebook all the time, and they're like, oh, I just didn't believe in God until I saw a dolphin in the sunset, and then I thought, oh, it's so beautiful, and there must be a God. Okay. And I'm sorry to ruin this for the dolphins and sunsets people, but if you're going to 
say one, everything is one, then you have to look at that word everything and you have to broaden your view, okay? And so you have to say, okay, if God is in the dolphins, then God is in the cancer cell and God is in the flesh-eating bacteria and mosquitoes and entropy and possums. And if one of you has a possum for a pet, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so if there's one soul of all things, which the transcendentalists believed, then it has to be one soul of all things. And there's creation and destruction in there, and you're pretty close to Hinduism at this point. And I'm sorry to ruin the oneness of all things as a kind of a sweet view of things for you, but I don't want you to be among the shallow thinkers who are unaware that everything means everything. So we are from the Unitarians, the brave children of Arius, the intelligent teacher who had so many followers we are the children of those followers who were jailed and persecuted. We are the children of Michael Servetus, whose quotation is on the front of the bulletin. Michael Servetus in the 1500s, who, who wrote a pamphlet called On the Errors of the Trinity and eventually was burned at the stake for that. We are no longer heretics. Because we have parted from that faith tradition which would call us heretics, and we have built our own. And we continue to build our own because this faith grows as revelation continues. This faith grows as we grow in our knowledge and our strength and our capacity to understand. I'm proud to be in it with you. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.